This is The Guardian. Carruthers and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. After a week where we sold out bubble wrap and distributed it to the Lionesses for the next two months, we'll chat ACLs and how Serena Wiegmann plans to navigate the World Cup without her captain. Arsenal's fighting spirits are a classy comeback in the Champions League against Wolfsburg, while Chelsea are still in their tie ahead of a trip to Barcelona. Manchester City take advantage of their title rivals' European antics to go second in the WSL. Bristol City are promoted. And let's talk Levy. We'll discuss all that, take your questions, and that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Well, what a panel we have today. Susie Rack, fresh from a trip to Germany. How was it? It was great. We sat on a massive green bench, which is the only highlight in Wolfsburg, other than the football, obviously. And yeah, we were all very, very excited about the big green bench. I saw the press pack. I think there were like 10 of you. I was talking to a rival papers journo in Molly Hudson. (laughs) All of our friends. um, So no rivalry there at all. Um, And she said it was great fun and you all thoroughly enjoyed yourselves. Um, Flo Pollock, I'm sure, was enjoying herself as a happy Arsenal fan watching that as well. Yeah, I was. I missed the the opening bit and then I tuned in when we were 2-0 down. And I was like, oh, but then, yeah, it got it back for me. Yeah, I mean, and how many times do you get to say that? But then, yeah, at the end. Maya Quadri, maybe less happy, but not too sad of a Chelsea fan. Not too sad, not too sad. I mean, if you think of flashbacks against Barcelona, you just think about the worst, right? So it's not the worst scenario in the world. It's still there to, to play for. Absolutely. I love a bit of positivity, Maya. Thank you very much. Uh, right, first and foremost... Not so positive news, I'm afraid. Very negative, in fact, the confirmation that England captain Leah Williamson will miss the World Cup after suffering an anterior cruciate ligament injury early in Arsenal's 1-0 defeat to Manchester United last week. Look, we didn't even get the chance to channel good vibes, touch her knee on newspaper front pages or or, or anything like that, unfortunately. Susie, I I don't even know where to start with this, apart from I think we're all pretty gutted, but no one more so than Leah. Oh, yeah, and it's all my fault. What have you done? In her book, we start a chapter with, I've never had a major injury that's kept me out oh, for God. a season. So, oh, yeah, I blame no. I blame myself and Leah for speaking it into existence. Right, so now the pod ends, you exit, we and stop doing the back. pod together forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hit the road, Jack. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. No, it's um, it's devastating. I really feel for her. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, it was her birthday. Um, you know, she's celebrating turning 26. She's just written a book. She's Arsenal and England captain while Kim Little is out. World at her feet. Everything's going so brilliantly. You know, World Cup hopes look good. And then suddenly it's all cut away by really horrific injury. And you just feel for her. Um, and it's a lot of pressure as well because, you know, ex- expectations, particularly on England, are so, so high. And then you've got the captain out who is extremely important to the back line but also important in terms of midfield backup too gone and that's a lot of a lot of pressure to shoulder and a lot of disappointment to shoulder as much as she's then shouldering her own which I can't imagine what it feels like to yeah feel desperately sorry for yourself but then also feel the the weight of that disappointment from a lot of other people on you as well. But I think that's actually quite a big point that we need to say because 
When you look at her statement that she put out on, on social media, where she in particular says, I haven't had a day since last October when I've walked onto the pitch without a physical or mental question mark over me. You know, the pressure on these athletes nowadays, particularly those who are carrying carrying that weight on their shoulders, as you said there, Susie, in terms of what happened during the Euros, women's football as a whole, it feels like there is so much pressure on them. And then to have to to deal with this additionally, it, it's a lot, Flo, isn't it? Yeah, it is a lot. And you feel fully. And I think as well, like, I find it really difficult talking about these kind of things because I'm not, not a sports scientist, don't know anything about that. You know, what, what do I have to input on it? But I think there's like there's a lot of research out there. And I think clubs need to start implementing that and thinking about like players loads and rotation and and how they manage that because it's it's at a bit of a breaking point isn't it really with Arsenal particularly like Beth Mead, Miedemar, Williamson like that's not sustainable so I think there needs to be some kind of action but yeah I mean again it's it's easy to say that isn't it but like I don't know what that is but yeah I think there needs to be some kind of implementation of look at the research some implementation of that and then just thinking about that more broader because yeah they need to address that really. Yeah, we're going to talk more about ACLs in part two. But Maya, well, where did England go from here? Because we still don't know when Millie Bright is going to be returning. And I think it's unlikely that she comes back for Chelsea before the end of the season. Yeah, exactly. This is the issue. And I mean, when you look at how England are set up in recent times as well, there's been this sort of deliberate, not too much rotation of the side, familiarity, making sure that you're ready. So to lose key parts of your of your team going into a tournament where you're essentially favourites is is absolutely massive. And we've mentioned it here now. It's not just about the playing qualities. It's the leadership qualities. It's the feeling that this individual brings to the team that is going to be missed. And of course, Leah's a fighter. She'll be there in spirit. She'll be there in person. But you can't replace that on the pitch. You, you see it in all sports. When you take away the leader, everyone's shoulders drops a little. Someone has to rise and pick up that mantle, but it's going to be a massive, massive miss. As you mentioned, with Millie as well missing, yeah, someone's going to have to step up to the plate and really shoulder that responsibility. Yeah, and it's only really youngsters the left, really, if you take out that experienced partnership of Millie Bright and Alex Greenwood. You're left with young players and we'll talk about everybody's heart in their mouth when Lucy Bronze came off in the, in the match against Barcelona the other day as well. We, we are going to talk more about ACL injuries in the second part of the pod, but we'll get into those two huge Women's Champions League semi-final first legs and we'll start with Wolfsburg 2, Arsenal 2. Arsenal, as Flo, you said, conceded two goals in the first half. First from the UWCL top goal scorer this season, Eva Payor, and then the second gifted to Jonas Dottier by a terrible mistake from Arsenal trying to play out from the back. Um, I'm sure both Flo and Susie had, uh, had their hearts in their mouths then. So much to unpack in this game, though, Susie. First and foremost, what an incredible comeback. How important could that mental battle be going into the second leg? absolutely huge I mean like never mind doing that when you've got like your fully fit <laughs> first choice starting 11 but doing that with the the forces that they had available which is still a really strong starting 11 but it doesn't contain the sort of like absolute world-class quality of you know Viviana Meathema, Lee Williamson, Beth Mead that you know there's very very good players in there but they're and Kim Little you know uh, cut above yeah like extraordinary I think there's maybe even some frustration that 
the goals are of your own making that you've conceded and you're not coming away with a win from that. Um, Wolfsburg really should have put it to bed in the first half, though, I felt. You know, they really didn't like make the most of their dominance. And, I mean, there was that flurry of chances right at the end of the game where you you, you thought that they were going to get a winner, you know, wide of the post, off the post, that kind of thing. But, yeah, I mean, just incredible, resilient performance. I, I sort of asked Eidvall about it afterwards because previous seasons, particularly against sort of the best teams, Arsenal just sort of folded when they conceded and really, really struggled. And then this, uh, within the last you know month and a half, we've seen the fight back against Chelsea in the Conti Cup final. We've seen um, them come from behind against Man City. You know, we've seen them come from um, a goal down in the first leg against Bayern Munich and now this. And I think everyone thought that, I mean, I certainly did, that Leah's injury was going to be one injury too far because it just disrupted the midfield too much where they're really, really light because obviously that's where she had moved into to make up for Kim Little's absence. And I think maybe that's part of the first half performance a little bit that they thought that too um, because it was quite hesitant um, and very much um, almost giving up before it started and then they come back into it and yeah I just don't know where that mentality comes from to be able to do that. Well I heard post-match interviews with Stina Blackstenius and Katie McCabe who both suggested that you know, this team, when their back's against the wall, can do something special and they feel as if they're now playing for their teammates who cannot take part in this, you know, closing stages of the season. And, and you can definitely see that mentality switch. And the ball from Lotta Vuban Moy was incredible flow. She was one of the players that really stepped up when Arsenal needed her. And as Susie said, this squad are now proving time and time again that they can pull a performance out against the odds. Yeah, I am feeling, despite the injuries, very, very positive about Arsenal women and like for now and the future. I, I really think, I know I support the Arsenal, so I say this, but I think just the club in general, there's something special going on at the moment. Just the way that the kind of togetherness, like the fact that the Emirates might sell out for the next leg against Wolfsburg, that would be incredible. The resilience to come back. Just think when we get all the players back, Miedemar, when they're all back, it's going to be such a squad. So yeah, despite the injuries, I am actually feeling really positive. I mean, you talk about players stepping up as well, lots of women. I really want to um, shout out Stina Blackstenia. She came into so much criticism from a lot of people for not being able to put the ball in the net, which is her job. I get it. You know, there was talk about trying to replace her and she has just kept going and she's been so, I think she's so crucial to how Arsenal play in terms of not just not the goals, not just the goals, but the, the pressing. She's so good on the press and I just think all of these players have really stepped up and yeah, I feel positive about it. I mean, I actually have got tickets for the Champions League final going with producer Becky. No way that I think Arsenal are going to be in it, but they actually might. I think it feels, and sorry, Maya, we'll talk about Chelsea in a second. It feels as if they're in a better position and arguably playing the better football, dare I say that. But, you know, they do head to a packed out Emirates Next Monday, Maya, it's looking like a crowd of nearly 50,000 as it, as it stands at the moment. Can they do it? I think they can. I mean, the Bayern example was given, but that word resilience, I think Arsenal are the most resilient team on the planet. If any other team had those calibre of injuries to those players, the mental fortitude to go out and still play, I think that that three-letter term is probably not even mentioned in change rooms especially that change room because of the fear that it would bring into you. But time and time again, they rise to the occasion. I think I saw the stat which said 
Wolfsburg had played 172 games in the last five years and gone 2-0 up and not lost. And then here comes Arsenal, injury-depleted side, come back to 2-2. If that tells you anything about that side, it's that they are resilient. And fair play to the whole, you know, the institution of how they've done things. Because now you have, like you said, 50,000 potentially in the second leg. That comes from not just this season, it comes from years of building something up, really preparing something, as Flo said. And this is why people really need to invest in what they're doing, because in moments like this, this is where it comes to, to the forefront. Now you're going to have a, a massive crowd that are bought in that really believe that they could get to, you know, European fans for the first time in 15 years. They have a really good opportunity. I think Wolfsburg are probably taken aback by that performance more than anything because they should have killed the game off. And now they think, OK, we're going to have to go into their den and try and do the same thing again. So massive, massive opportunity for them. And I think Ford being back is going to be a really, really big one as well. Yeah, I was going to ask Flo about Caitlin Ford in a second, actually. But Susie Eva Payor is top scorer in the Champions League this season. Eight goals to her name. How, how do Arsenal contain her in this second leg? With great difficulty. I mean, whether she starts is another thing because, you know, the reason she started this game was because Alex Pop was out, which, I mean, speaks to the level of depth they've got compared to Arsenal in that Alex Pop could come back and potentially shift their Champions League top scorer onto the bench or like out of position. Um, so, you know, comparatively, the depth is uh, like polar opposites at the moment. Really difficult to stop. I actually thought um, Svenis um, Jan Stottier was the the real threat, though, the real one that caused all the problems, um, created opportunities for Pyor a lot. Um, really dynamic player. At the back three really struggled to cope with her sort of movement just really dynamic um so for me Jans Dottier is the is the one I would be slightly more concerned about if anything because I think she really like played with that back line and created space for Pyor to to do what she does best mm. I, I will ask you that question now Flo on Caitlin Ford that Maya mentioned there it would be huge wouldn't it um if she could come back and be fit for the second leg yeah it really would she's been a bit of a revelation this season for Arsenal. She's been so good at the heart of everything. She's she's so good one-on-one against players. I never really noticed that in her game before, but I think this season, when she's one-on-one with a player, I just expect her to beat them now. And that's so, in terms of being able to break lines and create attacks, being able to have someone that can beat beat a player, that's so critical. So yeah, I think Caitlin Ford would be a massive, massive boost. I don't know what the timeline is on her being back. Does anyone, anyone know? I wasn't expecting her to be out for as long as she has been out, if I'm honest. So I don't know is the answer, Susie. I've had the impression that her return is like fairly imminent. But I've had that impression for a few weeks. So, I mean, I'm sort of, yeah, like hopeful that this eight day break between the games is enough for them to get her back at least onto the bench. But I mean, who knows? Because it's an injury we've not really been given a huge amount of info on. Scheduling-wise, by the way, just a random question. Does anybody know why Chelsea are playing their second leg on Thursday and Arsenal aren't playing until the Monday? I mean, they're supposed to be played on the weekend, right? That's what they're scheduled for. 
I know there's a couple of journalists who are really irritated because they had like kept that weekend free and then booked off around it and now are missing the games, whereas I had done the opposite and had um, sacrificed the games and I'm going to Centre Parks on the weekend and now it's played into my hands perfectly. Um, <laughs> well done. So like, I, I, I will be at both games instead of not being at both games as I first thought. But yeah, so they got moved because... Um, because of you, so you can go to Centre Park. <laughs> yeah, yeah, entirely because of me. Everything is your fault, Susie. <laughs> I know, right? I just need to take all the punches. Um, yeah, so it's because um, obviously they're scheduled for the weekend, but no team knows which whether they're getting their women's team to the semi-final or not. So they've all got men's games scheduled at the big stadiums. They have to be played at the big stadiums because of VAR and goal line technology. And then you've got the issue of men's teams playing the stadiums. And yes, obviously you can play back-to-back in the stadiums, but UEFA rules mean that you have to have the away team able to train on the pitch the day before. So then you're working around the schedule of whatever game's going on in that stadium on that day. So that's meant that um, Chelsea's has come forward to the Thursday um, and Arsenal's has shifted to the Monday to accommodate fitting around the pre-existing scheduling of games in the stadiums. Although, you know, then the Arsenal men's game shifted as well so it but yeah by that point it had already been done so they couldn't really change it further okay that clears it up for me for sure let's talk Chelsea beaten at home by a quite formidable Barcelona they conceded a really early goal a sensational strike from just outside the box from Caroline Graham Hansen in the fourth minute I think we all feared the worst as soon as that early goal went in but actually Chelsea held strong for the next 90 minutes and the game finished 1-0. Maya is our resident Chelsea fan today when you conceded that goal so early. How did you feel? Did you think it was going to be exactly the same as that 2021 Champions League final where they collapsed? Um, other than that, how do you feel about the result? Jeez, thanks for reminding me. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, the flashbacks. And I mean, ultimately, when it's CGH as well, what, what an amazing player, by the way. It's that first Champions League goal this season because of the injuries, right? I believe. And I remember when she scored the world against Wolfsburg last year in the semi-final, I was like, ah. But yeah, when you can see the goal like that, you're thinking the worst. But again, resilience. Just brushed it off, didn't capitulate this time. And really you know, managed to stay in there for a long time. I mean, the offside goal as well. Very similar pass, by the way, from Lotus pass. You know, break the defence, get in behind. You think if that counts, momentum changes completely. This Guru Wrighton's goal. Yes. And... um. I'm glad that they managed to you know, give a good account for themselves. And obviously going to Spain is a massive, massive tall ask. But at least you give yourself something to work with. Because if you go 2-3-0 down at home, you're basically out of the tie. So there's there's encouragement to take. I think Emma will be proud of that performance. It would have been great to take something away from it. But 1-0 compared to what it has been in recent times is definitely a step in the right direction. Now, can we go and do the impossible? Potentially, we could. Yeah, I, I believe you. And and Barcelona were actually held to their lowest XG all season, if you use XG as a monitor of anything. But I'm sure, Susie, I mean, there's nothing they can do about that offside goal, but they'll be disappointed they didn't take any of their chances. A hundred percent. I mean, and like you'd bank on Sanka every time to score when she gets into a good position, to be onside when she gets into a good position. So yeah, there'll there'll be frustration that they didn't do more up front when they did get those little opportunities because they do have a player with like and Guru Wrighton too, to be fair, uh, with the quality to make something happen when the game is, you know, firmly against you. It's a good result, 
you know, limiting Barcelona to 1-0 is a good result. But I also, like, on the other hand, feel like it's slightly played entirely into Barcelona's hands because they walk away from Stamford Bridge with a goal advantage going into the new camp with, like, where they, they don't lose, having not really moved into first gear at all. Like, I, you know, I felt like it was a very patient performance and they were almost, you know, happy to just let Chelsea bank back and try and catch them on the break and, you know, happy to, yeah, sort of dominate possession and take their time and will maybe be a little bit frustrated that they didn't get more goals given that they dominated. But at the same time, I think they'll be so confident they can do something special at Barcelona. I really think Chelsea needed to take something from this game. I mean, yes, the tie is alive and they're still they're still in the tie, which is what Emma Hayes kept saying. That, you know, we just needed to be in the tie. But I do feel like only from taking something from Stafford Bridge would they have properly been in the tie. Yeah, it's almost like that boxing analogy, right? That you're you're down by points and now you have to go for the knockout. That's all Chelsea have at this point. So you're right, going across to Europe to play in that arena, you're basically 1-0 down already. There's no ifs or buts about it. Can you go and give the performance of your lives to make sure that you can have this moment? And ultimately, I know Emma will probably be showing them the tapes of a few years ago, showing them that final, saying, remember what they did to you. This is your opportunity to really show the world that you deserve to be at this level. And I mean, greatness is only achieved by doing something big right so they have the opportunity to really do that now but I do agree with you if you could have taken a draw from the bridge you would have cashed out the bank but if you could have taken a 1-0 as well you would have probably cashed that in yeah I think look the camp now the camp new the Spotify camp new whatever it's called however you pronounce it so as not to offend somebody it's going to be a really big ask isn't it I just want to talk about Jess Carter though Flo because she had a really good game and it feels as if she's just grown into this Chelsea side and her confidence has improved and she's just really coming into her own at the moment. Yeah, Jessica's great. Been so good to watch her grow. And I think with the start of this season, she wasn't playing much at all. I remember being really disappointed because I thought she'd come on so much. But obviously injuries, she's back in. And also England, I'm thinking, I'm thinking with the injuries at the back, she could be a great player for England. She's so fast and she's so good one-on-one. So yeah, Jessica's great. I, I'm not sure about the Chelsea result, though, it being a good result. I feel like a lot of the narrative around it, surely you've got to get a result at home. Surely that, that has to be how you're going to win the tie, get a result at home, because they're not going to get anything at the Camp Nou. I also feel a little bit like the, the trauma of that 4-0 in the final. I think they've focused on that a lot. And they're like, oh, we're trying to stay in the tie. We're trying to pass really good. And it's like, why are you here? You're here to compete at the top of women's football because that's the kind of club you are. Are you here just to lose one nil to Barcelona twice and go out? Like I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being a bit harsh. Barcelona are incredible. No, I, I actually think I think you're bang right, and I, do, and I do think it's very easy when Emma Hayes immediately comes out and goes spins the positive on it. Everybody listens to what to what Emma Hayes says because she's Emma Hayes. But I think you're you're exactly right. There is a bit of spin on that. I think there is, and I think I just can't see them getting a result at Camp Nou. Maybe I'm gonna be proven wrong but I, I don't know I just feel like they actually by going into it so like oh you know we've got smashed 4-0 last time we need to try and stay in the tie and it's like no you need to try and compete that's the level you're at and I, I don't know I just think about the attitude thing between Arsenal and Chelsea and it's like I mean obviously they've also had injury blows right losing your two starting centre half is a massive blow I get that and I do get that but I think maybe 
the attitude I don't know if that's been helpful for them basically going in with the whole we need to just stay in the tie and let's not get smashed again I was just a wee bit disappointed by by Chelsea if I'm honest I agree. I think they were like they were dictated too much by Barcelona. They catered to Barcelona too much instead of playing their their own game and the way they like to play, um, and really going for it. And like they like yeah, for me they needed a result at Stamford Bridge so so badly to keep there's there's keeping the tie alive and then there's actually being in with a chance of going through and that's the difference, right? Jess Carter like I thought was phenomenal, um, and I asked Emma Hayes about it afterwards because like I remember that final where she was just so out of her depth it was incredible I mean all of Barcelona's success in that game came from attacking the wings and yeah she looked so so unbelievably out of her depth and a lot of people myself included were calling for big change and fullback options in the summer saying you know she has to bring in some top quality fullbacks they brought in Eve Perise who sort of was you know, is very, very good. I really like as a player. It's got huge potential, but is almost like a similar level of development, not like the world class, I think, that a lot of people are thinking they need to get in to be able to compete in Europe. And then she was, like Jess Carter in the game at the weekend, was beyond good. Um, like really, really phenomenal. And Emma Hayes afterwards was like, she thinks that she learnt a lot that night and really reserved quite a lot of praise for her because, yeah, really impressive. Yeah, well, we'll see how both those teams get on over the next few days. That's it for part one. In part two, we'll chat ACLs and round up the weekend's WSL and championship action. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. So we touched in part one on ACL injuries after England captain Leah Williamson suffered an anterior cruciate ligament injury, which keeps her out of the World Cup coming up. I mean, she's just one of an unfortunately long and growing list of women's footballers who have suffered this injury, the third at Arsenal just this season. Why are these injuries, Susie? I know you've done a lot of research and articles on this. Why are they more common in women's football and for female athletes? There's a lot of different reasons, and I don't think like there's there's one that is clear. I think there is like some differences in the biomechanics of women's bodies compared to men's, and how they move and work is slightly different, and that does impact things. But I think the bigger thing is that the fact that everything is designed around men's bodies and all research is done on the basis of men's bodies. So then when you're applying everything to the women's game, you're basically slotting square pegs into round holes. So, you know, boots that aren't necessarily designed for women and are just, you know, smaller men's boots. Pitch quality is another massive issue. There's not enough, um, like, support for the, you know, kind of strength and conditioning staff, not enough experience there, not enough um, medical experience with understanding on the differences between men and women suffering these injuries, um, small squad sizes, uh, the football calendar is inconsistent. You know, I think there's um, obviously a lot of people talk about the football calendar and the issues of playing too much football or too little football. But for me, the bigger issue is the inconsistencies and the sort of very stop-start nature of, of women's football because we know that players can play lots of games, but it's when they, you know, have to switch from playing, but, you know, very, very few to 
a lot that is a bigger problem for me. Inadequate facilities and equipment. I mean, it, it just goes on. And then the biggest thing for me and the thing I think is most critical is that a lot of people look at it and go, oh, well, the men manage to play three times a week, blah, 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 and they're fine and they don't have as many ACLs, etc. But they've been trained from like the age of what, like five, six, seven to play that many games a week. Like they've been prepped for that from that age. Like they've been prepped from that age to reach a point where they can play that level of football that many times a week with elite facilities, with elite medical staff that talk to them about the best way to move to protect themselves on the pitch. And the women's players that are playing now haven't had that. And so for me, like, it's a generational thing. And no matter, you always need more research. I don't think, you know, you could ever say you fully understand and know something. So more research is important, particularly into women players. But we'll only see a real shift in it and a real change when we've got kids coming through at such an early age with elite level of facilities uh, and understanding that could actually influence things. So I think we're actually, you know, we're looking 20, 30 years down the line because we've not even got that in place now for the kids coming through. So for me, that's the issue. And it's going to take decades to fix and should have been done decades ago. Like that, I just can't see any other way of properly solving it when, you know, loading is such a big issue and it's not, you know, women's players aren't built to cope with it. Well, again, it screams investment flow. You know, some of the best players in the world have suffered ACL injuries in the last year. Beth Mead, Viv Miedemar, Marie Antoinette Cototo, Alexia Puteas, uh, you know, just a few. And obviously the, the big competitions are poorer without those players in them. So you would expect the likes of, of FIFA to want to invest to make sure that their headline-making names are in their headline-making tournaments. Yeah, 100%. I think everyone clear on the problem, but yeah, I think it's just difficult with with, with the solutions. I don't. I, I know Susie, you've spoken about you know some of the solutions, that, and I think you're maybe right about the generational thing. I think that's probably a good point. But because I'm just thinking like Arsenal, Barcelona, and you know some of those players you just mentioned come from those clubs. They've surely got a lot of this stuff in place. So what is it that's going wrong? I think clubs need to start implementing and trying you know things. And I think I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe loading's a big thing. Like you know. If they've played a certain amount, then don't play them. You know, they can't be played. They're in the red zone. They can't be played. But yeah, I find it really hard to talk about, as I said, just because I think everyone's clear on the problem. We just need to start trying some solutions. Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's move on to the Women's Super League. Lots of goals over the weekend. Let's have a quick recap of all the results, Liverpool came from behind to beat newly invigorated Brighton 2-1. They couldn't follow up Brighton on their 3-2 win over Everton midweek. Fellow relegation rivals Reading also gave up a lead in their game, going two goals up against Everton but losing 3-2. There was another dramatic battle between Spurs and Villa who shared the points with a 3 all draw. And finally, Manchester City do what Manchester City do best, blowing away West Ham by six goals to two. Some big results in the relegation battle, Maya, after Brighton and Reading lost. Uh, Leicester have a game in hand. They weren't involved this weekend. They're a point behind Reading, two behind Brighton, still at the bottom of the table. Can they defeat the odds and, and stay up, in your opinion? I mean, you can always dream, but that goal difference is is where it's going to get really sticky. I mean, even if they manage to get a few draws or really claw it back that goal difference I think they're probably how many goals is it probably 10 
Well, actually, Brighton have a worse goal difference than Leicester. Oh, okay, so it's going to be, it's rare Reading where it gets interesting. Mm. Yeah, Reading are on minus 20, Leicester minus 30, Brighton minus 32. So this is where it gets interesting because they're all in and around it together. But I mean, if it then comes down between them and Reading, it could get tricky for them. But I mean, it's cup finals, it's cup finals. Every game you have to go in really believing that you can you can do it. And I think, I know it sounds weird, but I think there's this psychological sort of fight or flight mentality that comes in when you know that the promotion from the championship has been secured for Bristol. So, okay, someone's definitely replacing one of us. We have to keep going forward now. So they could do it. But yeah, wherever the goal is going to come from is the question. I still feel as if it's between the bottom four. And I know this is just going to sound like a list of fixtures, but I think it's quite important to go through what the running is. So Leicester themselves, they have a game in hand. They face Liverpool next week, followed by Arsenal away. That game in hand is away to Chelsea. And then they face West Ham. And I mean, the last game of the season could be a potential relegation decider and it's away at Brighton. Brighton have Spurs next week, which is obviously huge for both of them. Then West Ham. Their game in hand is against Arsenal and their final two games are against Everton and that one against Leicester. Reading are away at Man City, at home to Villa. Then it's a massive one against Spurs, followed by a home game against Chelsea on the last day of the season. And Tottenham have Brighton, Manchester United, Reading and they end their season at West Ham. So actually West Ham could play a huge part in uh, in the relegation battle. They're not out of it themselves, by the way, because they've got to play these these other teams. Although mathematically, you know, they look relatively safe on 17 points with Tottenham in ninth on 13. You know, those fixtures mean they only need to have a few slip ups and they're sucked right back in. It's so difficult, isn't it, Flo? How do you see it? I think Tottenham will be fine. They've got too much quality. Beth England will score goals for them. They've got too much quality. I think Spurs will be fine. I think Brighton and Hove will be fine. I've been so impressed with Melissa Phillips since coming in. I was at that semi-final against Man United. They went toe-to-toe with them. But the result against Everton, I think Brighton will be okay because I think she's really boosted them. I think it's between Reading and Leicester. I can't call it, but I think it's between those two, if I'm honest. What do you think, Susie? Yeah, I tend to agree. I think it's between Reading and Leicester, and I I worry for Reading at this stage. Although Leicester, yeah, like you say, Leicester's fixtures are tricky. Um, hmm. I'm yeah, I'm gonna say yeah, one of those two. Oh c- come on! Oh my god, I'm gonna say one of those. Oh, yeah, right. one of I'll, those. I'll go. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. What do you What do you think, Faye? Who's going down? Reading. I think Reading. <laughs> I would be really sad if Reading went down. So would I. They've been in it for ages and they've not got like a massive Prem club behind them, but they are struggling. I 100% agree. Uh, this is not what I want. This is what I this is what I think. Equally, when you've got an experienced manager in Kelly Chambers, as we've said repeatedly on this pod, you know, then you can't rule that out, but they have less games in order to do it, tough games in order to do it. And, um, you know, they've been on the brink for a, a few seasons now. Bearing in mind we're talking about relegation, let's talk about Daniel Levy, Spurs <laughs> chairman, whose suggestion that the WSL should be a closed league so clubs can invest with no risk in their women's sides 
Bear in mind where Tottenham sit in the table quite precariously at the moment. This obviously, you know, is about the new co and the new structure of of the women's leagues. Nag has tweeted us to ask if this is a good idea and if so, why? I know Susie has an opinion on this, so I'm just going to go wind, 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 go. I Yeah, it infuriates me um, because it's a terrible idea to cut off the head of the women's football pyramid that is a relatively fair system bar there not being enough promotion spots into the championship like just maddening I mean the thing that annoys me the most I think is that I think in women's football there's very much been for a very very long time a broader view beyond individual interests right like you know there's been a recognition that every team needs to be successful for the league to grow and develop and the more successful the league becomes, the more you get these like individual interests suddenly start to rear their heads and try and influence things. And I think that's a really like dangerous way to go. You know, I don't think we should have people basically putting their own club interests ahead of the development of the league. And that is inevitably what's going to happen. The more money is in the WSL, the more teams are going to think selfishly and look to protect those interests and obviously a closed league benefits Dan Levy because it means that he you know keeps Tottenham in the in the top flight for the foreseeable future without a big increase in investment but a lot of money going into the league and a lot of interest in the league and yeah very ironic coming from a club that bar you know like signing Beth England and things like that has chronically under invested in their team um, and under supported their team to be basically trying to close shop so you don't have to invest further is a terrible decision. It undermines the integrity of the league. It undermines the work that's being done below for by clubs who uh, want to come up. I mean, when you look below the championship, for example, you know some of the teams that are battling for that one spot every season. You know, there's numerous uh, clubs that have been working for years to try and move up these tables and then you're potentially going to close the trap door and kick the ladder away of what is already a very very difficult hill to climb it just makes me angry it makes me so angry from the broader point of view that that he has the confidence to come out and say something like that that is like undermining the interests of the league and women's football in England Confidence or, or arrogance? I mean, there's always, you know, a question mark over those desperation words. I would, I would say, and yeah, you make a really interesting point. But particularly, it feels like it's highlighted more this season with the competitiveness of the championship of tier three. Like you go down to the women's national league, it is it's incredible down there. Why on earth would you want to to stop that ambition and 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 prevent? Well, I mean, we, we've talked about preventing competition previously before it's it's ludicrous in my opinion as well let's talk about the top of the table though quickly Maya Manchester City with that win against West Ham means that they move up to to second they obviously have played two more games than Chelsea and one more than Arsenal but in terms of Champions League football they look pretty good but what about the title race You've got to control your controllables, right? They would just hope that they can keep on winning and keep on going. They don't have to focus by anything else. And ultimately, I mean, I've spoken to a few Arsenal fans who quietly think whilst they've been resilient in Europe, it may take away from what they can do in the league, especially with the squad depth being tested. 
So for Man City, they have an advantage in this race. You just literally need to keep going to the finish line now. But the result on the weekend, Chloe Kelly getting two goals, business as usual, just keep going now. I think they will think that they can secure Champions League football, which would be great of them for what's happened in the last few seasons as well to really get back in the mix. Yeah, absolutely. Right, we need to talk about... Bristol City, huge congratulations to them. They're promoted back into the WSL this weekend after beating Charlton 4-0 in front of a club record crowd of 7,045 at Ashton Gate. Susie, we didn't jinx Anita. Anita Asante was on the pod last week and we didn't want to use the P word, or she didn't want to use the P word, but we pretty much uh, did. It's been so tight at the top of the championship this season. What an achievement is it uh, for Bristol to see that out against their promotion rivals of of Birmingham and uh, London City Lionesses in particular? You say we, Faye. I think it was very much you. <laughs> and I think if I, so if, I had, if I had said the promotion words, they probably wouldn't have got it because my track That's record, so as we've already discussed, is uh, <laughs> is poor. <laughs> no, it's absolutely phenomenal achievement for Bristol to get back up into WSL. You, I mean, like you see the celebration photos, like just how incredibly delighted they are to be back. Uh, so, so well deserved. Like really well-run team well-organized great coaches like really really good players but also really nice players and yeah like I think it is nice to see a team that is investing and playing some nice football come up into the league um it's going to be a huge ask uh for them in the WSL it's going to be really really difficult for them as it was the last time they were in the league but I always think it's good as well to have, you know, more teams represented in the top flight that aren't tied to big Premier League sides as well, because I think that's a cornerstone of women's football in England that needs to be protected to cut through this expectation of it becoming a Premier League mark too. Yeah, I just love the fact that, you know, a promotion after having a record crowd is just the right way of going about things. And like you said, this is a team that have worked really, really hard to have this moment. Abby Harrison, I mean, what a moment from ACL injuries to, you know, getting back in the league. I think she was only one of two players to actually get relegated with the side. And this season, what is it, eight goals, seven assists. It's just a great way. And on your 100th appearance to get back into the Premier League is a wonderful moment. I mean, the young players they've got in the squad as well, I think it's um, Shania Hills that's got what, eight goals this season as well. They've all really done really well. And it is, of course, going to be a massive, massive, massive task to compete and, you know, one of the toughest leagues in the world. But, I mean, bring it on up there is what they would be saying. And actually, I think it's quite important when you think if Reading could go down, for example, what Susie says in terms of having a non-Premier League affiliated club is is quite big. And actually, Bristol have announced that they're going to be playing all their games next season at Ashton Gate, which is great to see them commit to that flow. Yeah, definitely. I like Bristol City. I like, I like that they're called the Robins as well. I think that's cute. But also, yeah, talking talking about the league and stuff, two, three up, three down. Imagine, imagine Bristol City, Birmingham City, and London City Lionesses going up. I think that'd be great. Got to expand the league. <laughs> Got to expand yeah. the league. Yeah, because we talk about clubs aren't associated with big men's team. London City Lionesses, independent team. Imagine them in the WSL. That would be amazing. Absolutely. Uh, listen, allow me a little bit of indulgence at the end of the pod because we had a lovely email come in 
By the way, you can email us. I tell you every single week. So don't forget Women's Football Weekly at theguardian.com. And so many of you sending in some wonderful emails. But this one stood out for me this week. Hello, Women's Guardian Football Weekly crew. Firstly, a massive thanks for the brilliant pods you put out. I'm a gardener by trade. So I have a constant stream of women's football podcasts in my ear whenever I can. I think the show is excellent. More of the same, please. Thank you, Sam. Uh, my partner Elizabeth and I have been taking our five-year-old twins. Shout out to Isla and Meredith. Hi, Isla and Meredith, uh, to watch Forest Women all season. They did us very proud today, lifting the Women's National League Cup, beating Watford 3-2 after extra time. I'd love to hear the panel's thoughts on the goings-on in the FA Women's National League North and South Premier. Wolves did us at Forest a favour today by beating fellow promotion contenders Burnley. I think that leaves us needing to win on the final day at home to Stoke. It does. If Wolves also win, they'll be level on points, but we've got a massively superior goal difference. The Southern Prem looks even more tense with Ipswich, Oxford United and Watford all in with a shout. Oxford United having a one-point advantage in a game in hand, but having to play both Ipswich and Watford in their remaining fixtures. And he has put that absolutely brilliantly. It's it's fabulous further down the pyramid, Susie, at the moment. What do you think and, and how have you been impressed with what's going on down there? I love it um, because there's big teams investing like Ipswich, Watford, Oxford, all battling it out at the top of the Southern Premier Division. And then, like he says, you know, Nottingham Forest and Wolves battling it out at the top of the Northern Premier Division as well. Yeah, Burnley, what, two points behind them too? Um, Massive, massively tight leagues. And again, like I'll say it again and again and again, horrific that one of the teams from those two divisions will go up into the championship. For me, that's absolutely mad. And we should be rewarding at least, at very least, the champions of both leagues with promotion to the championship. I just, I, and I remember um, manager um, Ipswich saying this to me, like how can they justify to their board and owners like continued investment year on year on year when they can potentially win the league and not be promoted. And like it that's a really difficult position for clubs to be in. You're basically fighting for the chance to be promoted. And I, I just think that's so disappointing. I think it's being looked at. I think I think it's it's under review. It is, but it's it's always under review. <laughs> um I feel like every time the question is asked in like the past three or four years, it's been, yes, that's something we're looking at. I desperately hope that finally we might see that change and, you know, potentially the new company taking over the Women's Super League and the Women's Championship might decide that. But also, you know, they're also exploring closed shops too. So for the health of the women's football pyramid, it has to change. It just has to. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think when you think of British football, one of the things that it's heroed on is this, you can dream of being that big club. You can go on this journey. And the fact that that journey is bottlenecked in such a way is ridiculous. And that's why Danny Levy's comments are just so shocking because that is against the spirit of British football. And I think there's a real education piece that needs to be done in all of this in general. I think if you look at football and the men's game at the moment, one of the things that's constantly been spoke about, whether for better or for worse, is Wrexham and and Notts and how two teams have managed to amass 100 points and only one of them goes through automatically. Well, if that is shocking to you, look at the situation we've got here where you can win your league and still not go up. It's absurd. And and something needs to be done sooner rather than later. Because as you said, what is 
some people will probably think, why would I invest in something if we can achieve greatness and still not get rewarded for it? It needs to be reviewed like ASAP. Yeah, agreed. And that's a good place to end on, actually. Maya, I've been wanting to ask you the entire pod. You have a happy birthday banner and a balloon above your head. Is it your birthday? Did I miss that right at the top? No, it was my my second son's um, birthday. He turned one and we've I've actually taken decorations down. Oh, bless him. Wonderful. Um, my 18-month-old is chasing a balloon that he's had for the last four days around the house constantly and I am just waiting. So yours is good on the wall because I'm just waiting for it to pop and terrify him for life. <laughs> uh, scar him completely. Lovely to see you as always, Mo. I'll see you soon. Thank you. Flo, always a pleasure. Thank you. Expand the league, three up, three down. Yeah, absolutely. Susie, have fun at both Champions League second legs and centre parks. I know, right? What a weekend. Absolutely it is. Um, right, we'll be back next week to discuss the Women's Champions League second legs and WSL action. And a reminder, you can now email us on womensfootballweekly at theguardian.com. Please send those through. Shout out to Isla and Meredith. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly this week is produced by Lucy Oliver and Becky Taylor-Gill. Music composition was by Laura Iredale. Our executive producer is Sal Ahmad. This is The Guardian.